Okay, first off, some big news. Dun, 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 dun. Out of the blue, right before New Year's, I got an email from a company that I worked with through another agency, the agency down in Florida that I worked with. And they said, hey, we'd be interested in seeing if you would be interested in doing some freelance copywriting with us or maybe even joining our team. And I'm like, what does that mean? And the bottom line is Southeastern Guide Dogs, which you may or may not be aware of is some of the work I've done through the old agency. They evidently liked me. <laughs> and out of the blue, they offered me a job with them living, working in Wisconsin, but being their creative director and also having significant copywriting duties as well. And I'm like, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. So literally Monday was my first day. This coming Monday or this past Monday? This past Monday. was your first day. And this, I mean, tell me again, this was Southeastern Guide Dogs? This is Southeastern Guide Dogs, a not-for-profit organization based in Palmetto, Florida, which is just east a little bit of Sarasota. And they believe in marketing themselves the right way. And evidently they liked what I did for them. Fantastic. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. That's for darn sure. And the kind of company you can believe in, right? I mean, yeah. I mean that always that that always makes such a difference. Well, and you have to look at things and go, well, well, you know, one of the basis is one of the key pillars of what I call nonfiction branding is knowing who you are so you can be it. You've known me long enough to know that having a meaningful relationship with a client is more important to me than having a lucrative relationship with a client. That doesn't mean I undervalue myself. What that means is I take in the entire calculus of what is being offered to me to determine whether the fit is right and all that stuff. And this fit was like, could it be any better? Yeah, I suppose if... They gave me a Learjet or something, maybe, but not really. But that's not fit. That's uh Yeah, that's perk. That's, uh, right, right. That's a perquisite, as they say. But <laughs> but anyway, that kind of informs our conversation a little bit tonight because that doesn't mean I'm gonna stop doing the nonfiction brand podcast or the stuff I'm doing there or promoting the book and all that stuff. It just means that maybe some of the heat is off my butt a little bit because now I've got a position where I can feed my family, pay my mortgage, and not sweat it so much. And that's not a bad thing. Well, good for you, man. That's wonderful news. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And before I go any further, I should probably say to those listeners out there that this is a kind of different episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast because it's going to be reversing the tables a little bit. And instead of me being the interlocutor, I'm going to have an interviewer who's a very close friend of mine who I've worked with for, my gosh, when did we start working together? About 10, 12, even 15 years ago? 15 years, which would put us in our late 30s. Uh, no, that would put you in your late 30s, me in my early 40s, probably. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been about, it's just over 15 years. It was uh, when Elizabeth was a baby. Yep. So for your listeners, our families know one another as well. DP is actually, his name is David Paul, his wife, Elizabeth. Our children, my children's name are David and Elizabeth. We actually met DP and Elizabeth after we named our kids. So it's just a happy circumstance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very serendipitous. Interestingly, as we're, we're talking tonight about personal branding, I met 
DP when I was very young in my career, you know, he was he was certainly influential. In fact, I was working in the account service side of an agency and I I found I learned just as much, if not more, from the creative side of the house in terms of strategy and branding and what all those things started to you know, how, what those things meant uh, as I was kind of learning the trade. So this is this is kind of a treat and an honor for me to be able to, to talk to DP about his book and, you know, ask a few questions and learn a little bit more, uh, you know, about how the sausage is made. Well, and how the sausage is made is what, what we're going to be talking about. Because literally, I asked Aaron to be the interviewer on this to ask me questions about my book. Because as much as I would like to sit here and trumpet my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand, discover craft and communicate the completely true, completely you brand, you already are. I actually would like someone else to be asking me some questions about what it's all about. So it's not just about me telling you what it's about, but it's having a conversation. And by the way, I'm talking to Darren Tessier, who was, when I first met you, you were, I think, a garden variety account executive at an agency we both worked at. So he was on the account side. I was on the creative side and we would do work together and we became fast friends because of that and more. But I think it's valuable to get Darren's account side point of view on asking me questions about the book, how it got started and all that stuff. So bear with me as I invite a good friend of mine on to ask me questions about my book. Sound good? That's the only ground rule there is. Go ahead and let's start asking and answering questions. So Darren, what do you got for me? Thanks for inviting me on, DP. Let's start with the why. You're a man Ooh, with Simon opinions. Sinek. Oh, yeah. You're a man well. with a lot of opinions on a lot <laughs> of topics. Not so humble opinions, as your regular followers will know. Amen. So I was really curious. Why this book? Why this topic? You know, if anybody actually goes out and buys the book, they're going to see my reason why almost right away because it goes all the way back to my second job as a copywriter at an ad agency. And in this case, it was an ad agency in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can guess which one it is simply by going to my LinkedIn page and seeing where I was working at in Atlanta. And I worked on a brand, which I think everyone's aware of. It comes in a red and white can and is the real thing. And before that, I had been introduced to the concept of branding, but I was kind of like a lot of people, brand agnostic. It's like, yeah, branding, whatever, whatever. And then I worked on the brand I'm going to now mention, Coca-Cola, and saw how assiduously they defended their brand position in the marketplace. And I learned simply by viewing or osmotically how they do it. And I went, wow. And then I put two and two together, which was, why are they working so hard on this? And then a certain understanding came to me, which was that they sell sweet, bubbly brown water. That's their main flagship product globally. And they are globally known as a purveyor of sweet, brown, bubbly water. And that's why they have to defend their brand, because if they defend their commodity status, sweet, brown, bubbly water, they're nothing. But instead, they're one of the top global brands recognizable by everybody from pygmies in Africa to first world country people who have a choice of a bazillion different soft drinks. They're still one of a top handful of brands that people would point to. 
And that really impressed upon me the power of branding. But if you read the book again, you'll see that early on when I was working at the agency, I got a really, really, really bad creative brief that just said for copy points, the things I'm supposed to write about, write some stuff. I'm like, what am I supposed to write? You got to tell me, like, is it a two for one special? Is it a limited time only? Is it, what is it? You got to tell me what we're actually talking about. And I walked into the account executive's office who wrote that brief. And I said, what, what am I supposed to write about? I'm not a fiction writer. And bing, light went off. And I thought about it for the next 15 years. I'm not a fiction writer. So what am I when it comes to advertising and marketing? Could I write some crappy fiction? Absolutely, I could. But when it comes to advertising and marketing, why am I so violently a nonfiction writer? And the answer is because I want to write about the truth. And sometimes the truth needs to be polished. Sometimes it needs to be spun in a more attractive direction, but it still has to be a fundamental truth. And that's when I realized I'm a nonfiction brander. I have to be a nonfiction brander because to be anything other than that is to be a liar who tells a story. I don't want to be a liar who tells a story. I want to tell the true nonfiction brand story about the product or service that I'm actually writing about. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected everything is media world, that's all changed. In 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Christopher Wilshire, CEO of Egg Strategy said, this is the kind of book that changes how you view the rest of your career and how you go about amplifying your value to the wider world. To get your copy, head on over to amazon.com and search nonfiction brand and let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true completely you brand you already are you come across in our, your career i know i have come across people in my career who you know they make those choices about where do they take their career what kind of brands do they want to work on i know my wife who was in she worked for an experiential agency early in her career she had a choice between working on volvo or working on Philip Morris. Yeah. Um, and one of those products she could literally get behind. The other one, she maybe had a little more scruples about, is that something I can really promote? Is that something I can in good conscience sell? And I think that there's a lot of money to be made with those brands that maybe take a little bit of a, a different approach to things and that you take a different approach to career and you know, not to pass judgment on that, but you know, I kind of align to what you're talking about. And I mentioned that early in my career, that was kind of formative in that regard. There is, there's um, a level of self-satisfaction you can get by believing in what you're doing, believing in what you're writing about. So I, I've always appreciated and respected that. And, you know, when you look at the title of your book, Nonfiction Brand, that may seem pretty intuitive to a lot of people. But I think there's some nuance there that maybe people don't quite appreciate. Maybe you can yeah. go, go a little more into that 5,000 foot overview of what nonfiction brand really is all about. 
Well, let me give you an example of what a fiction brand is, okay? First of all, for anybody listening who doesn't know what Philip Morris is about, it's a company that deals with tobacco products and more. I mean, it's a very big company, but its primary product is tobacco. I don't want to ever work on a tobacco product because it violates who I am. And that's one of the key things. Know who you are so you can be it. I know who I am. And I used to smoke way back in the day. I used to smoke. I was fortunate enough not to have an addictive personality so I could drop it whenever I wanted to. And I have for, I don't know, better part of 17 years. But still, I know the addictiveness of nicotine and that product. And I will not support that for anybody. Consequently, that's it's one of those bright shining lines in my life that just helps define me and determine what I will stand for and what I won't. So that's a big thing. Philip Morris, tobacco products, no thank you. What was your question? <laughs> I'm sorry, so, I lost it. Right. So it was, again, the, the title of the, the book, Nonfiction right. Brand. People might look at that and say, oh, yeah, okay. All right, I know where I'm going. But, you know, I don't think that's necessarily going to ring for everybody. So give, give us that 5,000 foot. All right. So, so uh, we were just talking about tobacco, right? Okay. True story. Everybody knows Marlboro cigarettes, right? The cowboy. Marlboro uh, man. Right. Marlboro man on horseback out someplace in the American Southwest. You know, very rugged, all that stuff. Do you know that Marlboro, when it was first introduced as a cigarette, it was a, quote, female cigarette? It was the equivalent of Virginia Slims back in, I don't know, the 1930s or something like that. And they decided women weren't smoking enough. So they decided to rebrand it. And so they rebranded this commodity as this rugged, tough Western thing. You know, the colors of it are black, white, and red. The imagery is always American cowboy, or the location where they shoot the photography is typically in Utah or Arizona or New Mexico. And it's, it's very, very American, so much so that Marlboro is one of the top brands in China. Why? Because <laughs> the Chinese look at it as, oh, it's so American, it's so free, it's so rugged, it's so big, wide open spaces in a place or a country that has plenty of wide open spaces, but no one's living in them. They're all in cities of five to 10 million people. And so the only chance you get to touch that big wide open space might be when you fire up a Marlboro. They were able to go from a female brand to a male brand because that tube of tobacco has no nonfiction elements to it. Compare that to like American spirit cigarettes. Now, again, if you're not a cigarette smoker, you might not know this, but American spirit is the cigarette choice of hippies or, you know, granola crunchy people in America. It's organic tobacco. It's like saying, ooh, good, organic poison. If I'm going to be ingesting poison, it might as well be 100% all natural organic. But guess what? People buy it because it doesn't have the preservatives and all the extra chemical crap in it. Well, that at least has a little bit of nonfiction brand story to it, which is this product is as pure and clean as we can make tobacco. Crazy as it seems, American Spirit actually has a nonfiction brand, whereas other brands are totally made up. Let me give you another example. 
This really, really grated my cheese. I think I was reading an article on fastcompany.com or something like that. And it was, we created a brand in three hours. It's like, oh my God, let me read this. And what it was, was one of those, we all got together and we had a Mad Libs fill in the blank thing of, we're all about fill in the blank because fill in the blank. And the reason why is, you know, it was just garbage. And I'm like, no, you can't, you can't create a real nonfiction brand based on what you think it is. You have to know what it is. And especially when it comes to personal branding, that's the key, which is I can tell you, and I write about this in the book, I can tell you all day long that I'm a female Romanian gymnast. I can tell you all day long, but I could never, ever demonstrate that. A nonfiction brand always can demonstrate exactly who they are, what they do, and how they do it because they are who they are. They know what they do and they do it and demonstrate it and prove it every single day. Do you see the difference? A fiction brand is, hmm, we're coming out with a new tortilla chip. Let's call it, uh, we want it to have a different profile from the Mexican flavors we have. Let's go Caribbean. Let's, let's call it Jamaica chips. And it's going to have Jamaican flavorings. It's the same darn chip, but with different flavorings. Can we do that? Hey, packaged goods companies do that every single day. They take a product they already have, change it 10%, give it a new name, a little bit of a clever backstory created by someone who's very comfortable with fiction branding, and they put it out in the market. We're getting into a lot of examples of specific brands, but you mentioned something just a second ago. You talked about personal branding. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that you had an aha moment when you walked into that account executive's office to ask him, what am I supposed to write about? But you had another aha moment early in your career. You read an article in Wired Magazine. Yeah. And it led to this big idea, as you call it. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. It, it was actually Fast Company Magazine, 1997. Why do I know this? Because I looked it up because it was so impactful. Tom Peters, who you may recognize is a brilliant thought leader in the business development space, you know, leadership space. He's just a fantastic guy who's, who's been spouting great stuff for decades. He wrote an article called The Brand Called You, and that rocked my world. And I still remember where I was when I read it. That's how impactful it was. And it was basically this idea that we're now coming into a stage where people need to think of themselves as a brand and package themselves like a packaged good would be branded so that people could understand the difference. And I'll use myself as an example. Back then, I was a copywriter, which meant that I wrote copy for advertising and marketing stuff, you know, everything from TV spots to billboards to brochures, you know. And if I'm just a copywriter, I am replaceable by every other copywriter out there. All they have to do is kind of get the old worn copywriter gear out of the machine and bring in a younger, faster, better, cheaper one. Boom. If I'm a copywriter, I'm easily replaced, just like a gear in a machine. However, based on Tom Peters and his brilliant idea of personal branding, if I package myself so that people understand that I'm better than other people at certain things, like, and ideally the tighter, the better, you know, the, the riches and the niches thing. If like, if I said I was a medical devices copywriter, 
I could command a much higher price from a much smaller audience. But that much smaller audience would pay that price because I had demonstrated my ability to communicate their stories effectively to their very niche audiences. Again, medical devices, am I talking to Joe and Betty out in the suburbs? No, I'm talking to the doctors and the nurses and the medical practitioners, and most importantly, the procurement officers at the clinics or hospitals that actually buy the stuff so that they understand every feature and benefit and why about the product. If I were just a copywriter, I would be like vanilla ice cream. But if I were a very specific ice cream flavor, not everybody would like it, but the ones who did would love it. And that's the key. Not everyone has to like you, but if a certain subsection loves you, that's where you can really shine and create your personal brand. You know, I mean, I was thinking about that too. And he may have been, Tom Peters may have been one of the first, if not the first to kind of put that label on it. But I think if you look back through modern history and even beyond that, I think you have probably examples of people, individuals who have recognized and intuited this concept of personal branding and have leveraged it to their great success. Oh yeah. You you can look at actors and actresses, you can look at politicians, you know, and again, pre-1997, so who, who do you think has really, you know, if, if you look at our kind of our current situation, our, our current environment, who do you think has really perfected that, that idea of personal branding? There are a number of people that I can point to that are well-known enough that people will get it. You know, like I look at someone like Gordon Ramsay, you know, the well-known internationally known chef. What is his niche? He's a grumpy, hard-charging, in-your-face, foul-mouthed perfectionist when it comes to creating fabulous food, or so we think. I've never had anything Gordon Ramsay has ever made, and yet I've consumed so much of his content because he has impressed me as a personal brand to the point where I prefer him to any other cooking show, for example. You know, there's whole networks devoted to cooking, And yet I will seek out individual people like Marcus Samuelson is another. He seems really, really cool. I find him very interesting in that space. But guess what? Marcus Samuelson as a Michelin starred chef versus Gordon Ramsay as a Michelin starred chef in that segment, they're commodities, right? Well, you're just like any other Michelin starred chef. No, no, not at all. You know, (laughs) not at all. They're totally different. And I would go to their restaurants one night after the other just to see the differences and compare them. So that's that's an example within the realm of high end chefdom or cookery. Those are two personal brands that are huge. But you can also look and this I actually talk about this in the book. There's a brand out there that is killing me right now. And her name is Brene Brown. This I'll say this academic who got her PhD, I think in something like 2007, is working as a professor at the University of Houston, I believe, which is like rated number 185 on the US News and World Report listing of top universities. So I mean that in the book, I snidely refer to it as a great place to exist as a professor if you're in the witness protection program. But it's true. You know, I I was raised by university people. So I'm um, my parents were both university people. And so the hierarchy of universities 
University of Houston is barely on it. And I'm not trying to pick on them because I think the university I went to is even lower on that list. So please, it's it's not about me pointing to that. It It's pointing to the fact that this professor who works in the field of social work, who does deep, rigorous research in the field of shame, S-H-A-M-E, shame, is now internationally recognized as an expert and recognized so much so that she's in a feature film as herself with Amy Poehler and other people because people have glommed onto her because she is being 100% who she is, studying what she studies in a personally nonfiction branded way of knowing who you are so you can be it. She is 100% being it and she studies shame. So when you say she's killing you, she's killing it. She is being her truth. My God, she kills. I'm saying she's killing me because she cracked the code that I've been trying to understand for decades now. And all you have to do is look up her on the TED Talk. You know, if you're into TED Talks, just look up her TED Talk on shame or any of the TED Talks she's done. And you will see someone who found her voice and found her what I call style stage. And I'm sure if I read her rigorous academic research, I would find it dry and boring and full of charts and metrics and data. I don't care about that (laughs) part because when she's on stage, I think I refer to her as personable as a golden retriever. I mean, she is so kind, so clearly open hearted and wonderful. She found the right place for her voice. So that's a big part of what I'm talking about in the book is it's not just about knowing who you are so you can be it. You have to find the right channel for your voice, the right style stage. What style is best for you and what stage is best for you? So, by the way, Darren and I can talk for hours and we probably will. In fact, he's going to be on next week's episode as well. But I'm looking at the clock and we're coming close to the end of my typical 25 minute to 30 minute episode. So we're going to have to wrap this up. However, I do want to say I'm talking with Darren Tessier, who is the vice president, director of marketing for State Bank of Cross Plains here in Wisconsin, right near me. And he's a close personal friend, close family friend and all that. But I also want to say he's really got his fingers on what's going on when it comes to marketing within the financial services, specifically banking space. So I want to ask you, Darren, if people wanted to get in touch with you, is there a best place where they can contact you? Yeah, they can. They can find me uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, It's D-A-R-I-N. Last name's Tessier, T-E-S-S-I-E-R. That'd be the easiest way to get to me. Um, I try not to have my name on the website of the bank too much because that leads to a lot of calls from salespeople. And we have a pretty defined <laughs> yeah. sense of what we're doing from a marketing perspective. Not that we're not open to new media and new ideas, uh, but we, you know, we, we give a lot of consideration to that. So a uh, personal connection or professional connection through LinkedIn is always going to be the easiest way. Yeah, that's right. So that's Darren Tessier, T-E-S-S-I-E-R. Check him out on LinkedIn. Uh, Totally great guy, and uh, I love him and his family and all that stuff. So definitely check that out. Well, that's it for this episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. By all means, let other people know about it. Subscribe to it if you're into it. And could you do me a super, super solid? Review it. 
wherever you get this fine podcast for free because that helps other people find it. Well, that's it for this episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I'm DP Knutin, and he is... Aaron Tessier. And we'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.